Since 1992, Genesis House has been helping real people heal from addiction on their private recovery campus in beautiful Palm Beach County, Florida. Their family-owned program is accredited by the Joint Commission and offers detox and dual diagnosis treatment in a comfortable and confidential setting. At Genesis House, they focus on treating the underlying causes of addiction. Their comprehensive approach includes psychiatric care, individual and small group therapy, trauma healing techniques, and holistic care including yoga, massage, and animal-assisted therapy. After treatment, their clients enjoy the lifelong support of a nationwide network of Genesis House alumni. Call Genesis House today at 1-800-737-0933 to speak with someone who understands. Visit them on the web at www.genesishouse.net. It's time to start your journey to a long and successful recovery. I guess I called AA because alcohol didn't work anymore. Drinking used to give me a sense of meaning in life. I called AA not knowing what to expect, certainly not cheerfulness, but that's what I got. People had humor. They seemed to be at ease. I hung around. Now I feel much more comfortable with myself and the people around me. Visit aa.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. Just say no. Oh, no. I'm Carl. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm Carl. I'm a I'm a, a alcoholic addict and uh, an all around great guy. My son. Hey. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Uh, my birthday is August twenty second, twenty fourteen. I'm Chelsea. I am an alcoholic. And my sobriety date is February 19th, 2015. This is SoberPod. SoberPod is the podcast about recovery that doesn't sound like a podcast about recovery. We are not experts or professionals, just a varying number of deeply flawed individuals with good intentions. If you would like to hear about the 12 steps, check out season two of 2019. Uh, for the years-long coverage of 50-plus full-length episodes. And it goes without saying, we do not speak for any recovery groups or organizations. And as always, we encourage you to listen in moderation. Do you know what I did yesterday? Hmm. I I got on the Zoom with Bangin' Bud Phil. Damn. Was he banging? He was banging, <laughs> he was banging me for about a half hour. Oh, no. I meant to get on there. I feel terrible. I tell you what, it, I felt so fucking good after doing it. I don't even know, like, well, because I, I, so I did it midweek as well, right? Like I did all the little, the little things that we do, like the little stepping in place, you know. Like, get, did you watch an old video or? No, I just, um, I just went from memory. So I, I guess maybe I probably. I, here's the thing i probably there's we do these planks right where you got to get down on your arms and you like hold that mm -hmm. position in like a it's almost like a push-up position but it's just on your elbows and um and i literally i i literally start to shake when i get into that when i <laughs> the longer we hold and i just like i feel so goddamn old and then um and i know it's just nothing for him which really bugs the fuck out of me i'm getting a little resentful the fact that he doesn't like because he's sitting there talking like normal yeah but you know he had to work his way up to <laughs> i that. know but i'm getting a little resentful at it so because you know i'm an alcoholic like, fuck you phil <laughs> fuck you in your banging bod i think I, I think i did say that actually i think i said fuck you or something like that um so then uh um but yeah so uh, a half hour of that stuff and i just i felt super good after you know what i'm talking about 
Like, you yeah. know, after, after you work like, out, you're like, mm-hmm, those like, endorphins. I, I did some shit. You know, mm-hmm. I, I cracked a little sweat, just a little one. But again, he did back off of the, the heavy like workout. I'm sure if other people ever showed up, by the way, that he would actually probably like raise it up a few just to make just just so I, I would look weak. You motherfucker. <laughs> well, sometimes like instructors or, you know, coaches, they'll show you different modifications. So like, mm-hmm. you know, you can do this if like. You know, he did. He, you don't want to do the high intensity. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he, I think he like realized that I didn't have, I don't have a lot of balance because my labyrinthitis. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were doing like these arm and leg stretches where it's like I'm really off balance, right? Mm-hmm. And I think he could see that, and so he, uh, he basically like we started to do these other ones, which I think they're called like, I don't know, like rock climbers or cliff climb. I don't know what the hell is he's calling. Oh, I think yeah. Yeah. So, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so we started doing those, I think, instead, and that helped a lot. But, uh, no, I think he, he, dude, here's what I, I really want everybody to, like, come to 9 o'clock Silverpod Live and just do this thing, because it was just fun as fuck. You know, it's mm-hmm. plus, we, you know, we don't, it's like we have all these people we don't even get to know. I feel kind of weird. Like, we're just talking on this fucking podcast. And people saw Silverpod Live, you know, kind of chat, whatever, once yeah, in a while, yeah. but. But it's like it'd be nice to actually have people like live doing, you know, and doing something worthwhile doing, right? You know, something, yeah. something uh, uh, energizing. And it's not like you were all running around in this beauty contest or anything. I mean, look at me, right? You know, it's like so. Carl, I, I, did, Carl, I just <laughs> you are beautiful on the inside <laughs> and the outside. But I, <laughs> you stop it. I, I, <laughs> but I just no, I just I I I got I got up with my. Uh, my little, uh, you know, uh, sleepy pajamas, basically, and my t-shirt and shorts, and I, so I didn't have to do shit. You know what I mean? I just rolled out of bed on a Saturday and just, I looked like I was in workout clothes. <laughs> I think you should put on like the whole, the full like eighties gear, leotard, like the, the leg warmers. The I tell you what, band. if it picks up, I will start dressing in my daughter's sweatband attire. It might come with a unicorn shirt. You know, that would be incredible. A unicorn half shirt, huh? <laughs> like That's a crop top. I, yep, crop top. There you go. Oh man. Yeah, there you go. So, um, so Chelsea, what are we doing? What are we What are we really doing? What's What's really going? Where someone's going to teach us how to just say no, right? Something like that. Oh, do we? Oh, so we're going to get Nancy Reagan on here. I think so. She's our yeah. our next guest. Mm. Well, like, didn't fucking work, Nancy. <laughs> well, Nancy, what do we tell the kids? <laughs> just, just you know what's funny no. is I was at like um, I was at like a TJ Maxx and I saw this tie dye shirt and I was like, oh, that's sick. So I went over and it said Dare on it. Oh yeah, do you remember the Dare mm-hmm. program? Mm-hmm. So I had to buy it. Um, and so, my favorite thing is just wearing it around and people like see me in my tattoos and they're like, Oh, weird. Like, yeah. She does drugs for She's sure. Probably high right now. Yeah. <laughs> I just think they're so funny. <laughs> yeah. Or like, uh, I, I always thought it was ironic that when we were kids, I got uh, pictures taken with, uh, uh, crime McGruff or McGruff, the crime dog, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. So I was just, we had these like Polaroids of me and fucking 
the gruff the crime that, dog. I was just such a fucking heathen, stealing shit you all need the goddamn to post time. that picture. I, I would do it if I could find it. I fucking would totally do it. Oh, I don't man. know where the fuck it is. It's probably, my mom's probably got it. She's well, and just we're getting off track here, but <laughs> the D.A.R.E. program, we had a red ribbon week mm. when I was growing up. And it was basically like, let's teach all these kids about drugs and how to say no to them and shit. So my mom made this poster of all the different types of drugs nice. to the point where she put like powdered sugar in a little baggie, little baggie. and taped it to the I'm like <laughs> I'm 10 why do I need to know what cocaine is like why do I need to know the consistency what it looks like yeah I get it I'm like it's, oh it's sweet <laughs> do I do I really need the black tar heroin visually described here, mom? Mom was on there too. And I'm just like, you know, the nineties were a different, a yeah, different time. A different time. Well, because in case kids, in case you find this stuff on the street, you should know what you're handling, you know? Just just saying. Fair. Okay. So what 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 we're doing again, if we want to talk to the to the kind people, is we're doing the uh the living sober uh book from from uh, you know, uh alcoholics world press you know world services uh and um yeah they so they put this book out like in 74 originally and it's been updated a few times and so uh so you know there actually is some modern language in here believe it or not i mean go figure um so you know they don't they don't talk about like you know flying the first airplane and shit <laughs> so, <laughs> that'd be great though. But, they, but they do uh in the big book uh so um so here we're i think we're in this round in this podcast in this episode we're just going to do like a there's like a five minutes segment and it was on um uh staying away from the first drink so if you want to crack your your books open to that title and kind of go from there i think we're going to get started um any anything to tell the kind people before we begin chelsea no okay let's well, get going let's do this Hold on to your hats. This is going to be a pop ride. <laughs> All right, here it is. Wait, I think here it is. Two, staying away from the first drink. Expressions commonly heard in AA are, if you don't take that first drink, you can't get drunk. Uh -huh. And one drink is too many, but 20 are not enough. Many of us, when we first began to drink, never wanted or took more than one or two drinks. But as time went on, we increased the number. Then, in later years, we found ourselves drinking more and more, some of us getting and staying very drunk. Maybe our condition didn't always show in our speech or our gait. But by this time, we were never actually sober. If that bothered us too much, we would cut down or try to limit ourselves to just one or two or switch from hard liquor to beer or wine. At least, we tried to limit the amount so we would not get too disastrously drunk, or we tried to hide how much we drank. But all these measures got more and more difficult. Occasionally, we even went on the wagon and did not drink at all for a while. Eventually, we would go back to drinking. Just one drink. And since that apparently did no serious damage, we felt it was safe to have another. Maybe that was all we took on that occasion, and it was a great relief to find we could take just one or two, then stop, 
Some of us did that many times. But the experience proved to be a snare. It persuaded us that we could drink safely. And then there would come the occasion, some special celebration, a personal loss, or no particular event at all, when two or three made us feel fine. So we thought one or two more could not hurt. And with absolutely no intention of doing so, we found ourselves again drinking too much. We were right back where we had been, over-drinking without really wanting to. Such repeated experiences have forced us to this logically inescapable conclusion. If we do not take the first drink, we never get drunk. Therefore, instead of planning never to get drunk, or trying to limit the number of drinks or the amount of alcohol, we have learned to concentrate on avoiding only one drink, the first one. In effect, instead of worrying about limiting the number of drinks at the end of a drinking episode, we avoid the one drink that starts it. Sounds almost foolishly simplistic, doesn't it? It's hard for many of us now to believe that we never really figured this out for ourselves before we came to AA. Of course, to tell the truth, we never really wanted to give up drinking altogether either until we learned about alcoholism. But the main point is, we know now that this is what works. Instead of trying to figure out how many we could handle, four, six, a dozen, we remember, just don't pick up that first drink. It is so much simpler. The habit of thinking this way has helped hundreds of thousands of us stay sober for years. Doctors who are experts on alcoholism tell us that there is a sound medical foundation for avoiding the first drink. It is the first drink which triggers, immediately or sometime later, the compulsion to drink more and more until we are in drinking trouble again. Many of us have come to believe that our alcoholism is an addiction to the drug alcohol. Like addicts of any sort who want to maintain recovery, we have to keep away from the first dose of the drug we have become addicted to. Our experience seems to prove this, as you can read in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, and in our Grapevine magazine, and as you can hear wherever AA members get together and share their experiences. And you can hear this also on SoberPod.com. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, talking about that, you know, um, uh, friends in recovery, they're, uh, they're still doing the 12 steps over there. So if you want to head on over to friends in recovery and listen to them. Oh, this after is a, this yeah, episode. Definitely excuse. after. Yeah. I, I, I get it. So, okay. So what are we doing here? We're going we're gonna to talk about this staying away from the first drink thing. And, um, I think one thing would be important to say is that, um, you know, if you are, if you have been. Uh, and you can go back to like the last episode to really learn more about it. But you know, want to make sure that you're not just jumping into um, you know quitting cold turkey without uh, you know uh, uh, getting medically detoxed. You know, if you've been drinking a lot, if you've been um, consistently uh, drinking a lot, it it could be harmful uh, if you don't do it under the the care and supervision of a healthcare provider. So by all means, um, please consider doing that. Um, I, I personally, like we talked about it last time, I personally didn't, um, uh, <laughs> I, I, I did not go to, to a medical professional to detox. I, but I had been 
really uh, almost tri- titrating, like tapering mm-hmm. down. Um, because I, in that last whatever, I was just trying not to just fucking drink. So I actually was drinking a little bit less, but um, but still having very much trouble. And then um, when I did get sober, I was hearing uh, polka music and uh, I had a black demon show up uh, and I was trying to choke scary. him. Yeah, I tried to choke him and he, he he laughed at me and like all this fucking like hallucinogenic shit. <laughs> you know, like I didn't understand that that's that's what I got myself into. I had no idea. Like I always just thought, oh, yeah, I could, I could stop. No problem. So uh, so who knows? Like it could have been worse you know, for me, um, you know, just, just by chance, you know, I, I could have ended up in some weird, some weird shit. So, um, so Chelsea, what do you, what do you think about staying away from this, this first drink thing? I mean, that's kind of what I've had to do and that's what's worked for me. Um, you know, I, I played that whole, I did that dance of like, oh, well, I, you know, I'll slowly taper myself off. I will limit myself, you know, um, I'll only drink Monday through Friday or I'll only drink on the weekend or, you know, I, I tried every which way, like in the, um, last few weeks before I finally stopped, I would, I was just furiously working out at the gym and I told myself, okay, like, you know, the, the treadmill says you're burning X amount of calories. So that's how many calories you can drink. <laughs> and so I literally wouldn't eat. I would only, you know, grant myself that amount of alcohol, whether it was like, you know, um, what is it like Michelob 64 or something? Uh, I don't remember, but anyway, that never worked it never was just that one. And it got really frustrating to the point where I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to have to work. I'm going to have to work out twice a day, (laughs) you know, just like in order to drink. So rather than giving up the alcohol, it was, let me beat myself up more because my intention was to lose weight, but not give up drinking. And so, um, instead of eating, I would just work out and, um, and drink. So I, I tried that. Uh, it didn't, it didn't work. Um, and then in, <laughs> in previous, work. in previous years, I would be like, you know, I'm only going to drink on the weekends. I'm never going to drink in the morning, you know, or I'm, I'm going to limit myself to, you know, like thirsty Thursday or taco Tuesday <laughs> or, wasted Wednesday, you know, there's always something, isn't there? Depends, you know, it depends on the day, but it just, it never stuck with me because, you know, it's, it's interesting that they say medical professionals say that it's the first drink that triggers the compulsion. And I very much have a compulsion. In fact, I, I still do. I have to have a drink with me, like a water bottle. Um, at all times, mm-hmm. everywhere I go. And people think that's weird, but it's what soothes me. And it's just that compulsion. Like I've constantly got to have something next to me. Obviously now it's non-alcoholic and much better for me, but, um, it's stressful to think about like, you know, if I got and I, let me back up. So in that dance I was doing, trying to control my drinking, 
Um, you know, I, I so wanted to be that person who could just have a couple beers, be buzzed and be good, call it a night. But like, that was never me. That was, it was never enough for me. And Mm. so I understand that slow progression because even if you are trying to moderate your drinking, you, you just don't have that control. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. But what, what are your thoughts about this? I, I always love the, the, um, the readings when we go to AA meetings and they have the, you know, more about alcoholism is chapter three, more about alcoholism. And they, um, you know, here it is. It says, uh, you know, here are some of the methods we have tried, right? Uh, drinking beer only. T- tell me if this sounds familiar to you. Drinking <laughs> beer only. Limiting the number of drinks. Never drinking alone. Never drinking in the morning. Drinking only at home. Never having it in the house. Never drinking during business hours. Drinking only at parties. Switching from scotch to brandy. Uh, drinking only natural wines. Agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job. Taking a trip, not taking a trip, swearing off forever with and without us almost, uh, <laughs> taking more physical exercise, reading inspirational books, going to health farms and sanitariums, uh, accepting voluntary commitment to asylums, and which you could also say voluntary commitment to treatment centers, right? Mm-hmm. And it says we can increase this list ad infinitum. So, you know, I always love it like when they're reading off this list and I really, because I, I this is the shit that gets me to like, remember that what I started at, which back when I was, you know, 25, see, even at 25, I did not feel like I had a problem with alcohol. When I started drinking again at 25, mm-hmm. I just thought, well, look at me. Like I, I went out drinking. It was fun. I, I got really close to getting laid and I, you know, I got camaraderie <laughs> with people. You know what I mean? Like no it was, consequences. No. Yeah. And it was fine. Everything was great. And mm-hmm. It was wonderful. Like, I just thought that was like, I thought, you know, because I had already been in the rooms and stuff, and they were all telling me, like, you know, if I go back out, I'm dead. And I'm like, fuck, I went back out and I finally felt alive, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, but I never really understood uh, the the idea behind the progression. You know, yeah. I, I knew I was an addict. I could tell you that immediately. I could tell you that the day I fucking did meth. But uh, um, I never understood. Um, that's why, like it says at the end of this reading, it said something about like, um, you know, we view uh, uh, being addicted like we were addicted to alcohol, you know. So, um, uh, so, yeah, for me, I, I, the, um, that's the funny. The the funny thing is about this is I is I think about the the things that I've tried. You know, it started with that first drink at twenty five, right? And I did. I tried all those things when it started to become a problem for me because alcohol was never a problem until it became a problem Uh i didn't have a problem with alcohol until i had a problem with alcohol and then uh so um but i I tried all this shit i would uh i would do all this like uh honey i'm just gonna i'm just gonna drink beer from now on i'm not gonna drink any hard alcohol right and it's like like, yeah yeah sure yeah she's like she goes what do you want me to get like i'm fucking whatever i get case of beer and it's gone on saturday (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, you know, and then I, you know, and then I don't, then I'm not happy, right? Because I'm not shit faced and I just got, you know, I just got buzzed a lot and I had to go to the bathroom a lot. You know, it's like, I just, so I, I couldn't fucking stand it. And so, so then I'm like, well, you know, we go shopping and I'd see like the margarita mixers or whatever. I'm like, okay, I'll fucking, I'll get, I'll get 
you know, two of those bottles from Costco, maybe that'll be enough, you know? And so again, switching from scotch to brandy, whatever it is, mm-hmm. that I just tried to trade in one for another because I always felt and that they even pinned it down at one point. Um, they said, uh, where does it say it here? It says, uh, when, when two or three made us feel fine. So we thought one or two more could not hurt. Right. And with absolutely no intention of doing so, we found ourselves again drinking too much. We were right back where we had been, over drinking without really wanting to. So, it's so. Then I I would get into that, um, like I'm just gonna drink rum and coke. I just bought rum. It was like exactly what did it for me. I've never resigned myself, but I always tried to dial that dial. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know. So if I have two or three. I'm like, oh, I, it feels really good. And that's like on a Monday night, right? But for whatever reason, I'll have two or three on Tuesday. And, and, and it, it, whatever that dial that I originally hit before. So even the measurement of the, like I couldn't, it, it didn't work. Like, so, cause then I would be like, for whatever reason, I needed more. And then I'd fucking do doing six or seven. And I'm like, well, how come Monday two or three worked, right? Mm-hmm. But now it's Tuesday and I need seven. <laughs> you know, it's just like, and they're really big fucking drinks, you know? So it just, it, it, it boggles my mind. It's baffling and confusing. Like they talk about in that way. Um, and again, I tried to, you know, even like, Oh, I'll, I tried to, even after I got sober, I tried to talk to my wife about, um, you know, uh, uh, I'll just drink on funerals, birthdays and, you know, those types of things. And, and, I, I knew it was bullshit. I knew as soon as like, you know, as soon as that first birthday or funeral or whatever rolled along, I would have picked up and then I would have just continued on after that. Like it would have just been another fucking, it would have just been another hiccup in the long stretch of drinking that I was accustomed to period. So I was a chronic everyday drinker. So to me, that's what would have happened. So, you know, I definitely had to stay away from the, um, from the first drink, obviously, <laughs> but, but I think it's, it's trickier than that. You know, it's it, when you're in it, don't you find that it was like, it was like, you talk about like, okay, I, I, it's like you're weighing this against your exercise for some reason. Why do you think you did that? Why do you think that that was like a thing for you? Like, you know, rather than just be like, fuck it, I don't want to drink. <laughs> so I don't have to deal with this math anymore you know, or this fucked up math that you had going on. Well, you know what I mean? Like, why do you think it was like that? What was the deal? Well, I think, you know, the speaker put it pretty, pretty simply is I never wanted to give up drinking. Ah. I never, ever wanted to, um, you know, it, that, that thought was terrifying. And so I did not entertain that thought Mm. hardly at all until I was faced with that decision. Um, I often tell people that AA is the club that no one wants to join at first mm-hmm. <laughs> because no one, I, I don't know anyone who's like, fuck yeah, I'm going to be an alcoholic. This shit's lit. Let's get some meetings. Like, and, no. And the ones that do show up and do that shit, I am really leery of those motherfuckers. Really suspicious. <laughs> 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 How long are you going to be here, dude? <laughs> yeah. So sorry, I interrupted. Oh, no, you're good. But, um, yeah, I it was it was kind of like that toxic boyfriend or you know your first love. I don't know. Um alcohol was 
just something I could not let go of. Um, it, it was painful to even think about having to go a day without it. Um, because you know, it, for a very long time, it helped me be more social. I thought I was more fun. Um, I, I didn't believe that I ever had fun until I started drinking. Mm. Um, you know, I could actually like not be self-conscious or worried. Like I was really carefree and I felt like I was the party girl, you know, and, and that was appealing to me at that age. And, um, one day it just wasn't fun anymore. And it was just kind of like, I, I'm doing this because I don't know what else to do. Mm. And when you, when you're in that spot where you don't know what else your options are, um, I think that's when I started to feel pretty helpless. Like, you know, now I I can't stop. Mm. It's just kind of the, it has a hold on me. So knowing that as long as I don't take that first sip, that first drink, then I don't have to worry about, you know, what's going to happen after that. Yeah. I I think you, you, you know, you pinned it there where you say like, you know, I never really wanted to stop. So why, you know, um, and then even when I was challenged with, you know, um, uh, you know, I got a, a good friend, good friend, an AA acquaintance <laughs> who I consider to be a good friend anyway. Yeah. He would say stuff like, um, uh, you know, you know, in, in the quiet of your own room, right. Um, you know, in the stillness of your own mind, you know, you know, um, ask yourself, you know, what is alcohol doing to you and no longer for you? Right. Because to me, um, you know, that is a, that is a better statement than, than the stuff of like, you know, the people say, uh, um, you know, because it's hard to get to. It's like, you know, oh, you know, you, uh, because it talks about it in here, like in this reading, it said, um, you know, you can at times go and have one drink or, you know, two drinks and stop, right? And and that's the case with me. Sometimes, you know, maybe not frequently, but sometimes after work, I can go and have one drink and stop. In my mind, I think, yes, I did that that one time. So that makes me not an alcoholic, right? <laughs> but I never like will like add to that. Like then I drove an hour home and got shit faced. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it never, like, I never want to hit that reality. So for me, um, you know, it's like I can always stop when I want to. So um, and, and and why don't I want to stop though? You know, why don't mm-hmm. I ever want to? Well, because you know, as it talks about in the in the book, like, well, you know, no significant health issues no you know the, the the love of my wife or my children or you know what i mean all these other things that you're supposed to be considerate of i, I could give a shit about because mm-hmm. so, i'm like i would rather be drunk than to mm-hmm. have to think about these other things and then not only that is um you know uh, uh i'm shitting blood by the time i'm done and that is not i'm not thinking you know what i mean like i should be thinking don't drink anymore because the internet just told you that your drinking is causing you to shit blood, you know? And I I shouldn't be that. (laughs) (laughs) No. And I, and I would literally quit it and just continue to drink thinking it will go away. Right. Or, or or I just need to drink something different or put more Coke in my drink rather than 
rough. But you know, it's it's all that weird twist of the mind shit that just fucked with me. So um, so I, I just wanted to make sure I I, I said that stuff because it was going through my head about like, you know, um, you know, you can fool yourself into thinking that you're not an alcoholic simply by the statements of like, you know, because everybody says, oh, once you have one, you can't stop, right? Mm-hmm. Well, well, no, that's not necessarily true, right? Because I did it many times. I, you know, I don't have Did you ever do that yourself? Did you ever like have one or two and then stop and then? Very rarely. I would say if that occurred, it was not like one and done for the whole day. It was like you said, okay, I'll have one at lunch. And then I know it's not acceptable to be drinking all day. So you know, a couple hours will go by and then I'll go home and get shit faced. Like I'll make sure to leave as soon as possible. <laughs> and, but in those situations where say I had a beer at lunch, um, it was never satisfying to me. Mm-hmm. I always mm-hmm. felt like I needed more. I it wasn't pissed like, off. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I it wasn't, um, my, I wasn't satiated. Like I wasn't, um, content with the amount of alcohol I had consumed because like they say, one is never enough. Um, even if that's one for like dinner. (laughs) Yeah. And that reminds me like, so I would choose to go without versus drinking. Like if I could only have one and knew I could only have one, I would choose to go without that one rather Mm -hmm. than fucking spend that the rest of the couple hours in misery right mm-hmm. i would just choose not to but i'd be pissed off still right you know it's like if it was out of lunch or whatever i would almost refuse it because i would just be like no because i know what i'm gonna fuck like i'm gonna want two or three here and there's you know or more and i'm never i so i would just choose to go without so it would just be like one of those things like you know if i knew i had to drive for instance if i knew i had you know, with my kids or whatever, I would be like, fuck it. No. And then, mm-hmm. but, it, but I'd be pissed off. Right. And then, yeah. you know, of course I, so I think the thing here is this, you know, for me, it was, um, yes, I was a chronic, uh, alcoholic daily drinker, but there are times when I was absolutely, um, you know, well, what I felt to be sober. Right. But I never got more than 24 hours sober towards the end, especially, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, for me, it, it was a lot like, uh, um, you know, the, the one drink led to, uh, you know, innumerable, you know, amounts uh, at that point. Like I say, it was always about trying to turn the dial on that, that good feeling. And for me, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, yeah, here, here's the thing. I could never really tell you why I drank really. Like if you asked me back in the day, like, you know, Carl, why do you drink so much? I would, I would have no fucking clue really. And then, um, and now it's like, I really look back on all these things and I try to look at, at it, you know, squarely, honestly, I, what do they say? Why, why did I drink? Cause I'm an alcoholic, but, yeah, <laughs> but, but, but like, um, but really why I think, you know, I, I love the unconscious time. I know that that's exactly where, where I was after most of my days. I was really at, I didn't want to be here at all. And now mm-hmm. it's like, I really look at it and I, some days I, I'm tortured by the awareness that I have. You know, I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, I have to, like, I have to think and breathe and feel <laughs> through all this shit. I don't like any of it. But you know what? I, I you, The more we go through it, the easier it gets, you know, mm-hmm. and it's those types of things. So, so that's why it's hard to stay away from that first drink. For me, personally, like, um, 
you know, uh, in the times that I was trying to stop drinking on my own, um, because I, I, I didn't know how not to do that. Like that was my coping mechanism period. And mm -hmm. every day I felt like I needed that on some level in order to escape my reality. So I just needed that. Absolutely terrible to say, but true. So true. What about you? What do, why do you feel like you knew this question was coming? <laughs> why do I feel like I drink? Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you. Other than you're an alcoholic, because I know you're, you know. You're... Well, I'll tell you the dumb reason I, I used to say is like, oh, I just like to try different flavors. It's like, <laughs> bitch, you're stupid. Like, who thought of that? That was a dumb excuse. I like, like the taste of battery acid. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Or, you know, I can stop anytime I want. I just mm -hmm. don't want to. <laughs> I, I just don't want to, time. right? <laughs> but why don't you want to is the question, right? You know, it's like, um, I think, you know, I'll agree with you. I liked checking out, um, not feeling. I mean, even if I was sad, I would still want to drink because at least, you know, I'd, I'd feel kind of like buzzed and mm -hmm. sad. You know, that's better than just being plain old sad. Um, and that's really like a lot of what it was um, that last year before I got sober. Um, but, you know, I I would say that um, trauma definitely uh, pushed me to drink a lot more, a lot quicker, um, definitely sped up my progression. Um, you know, I I was pretty stable. Like I wasn't drinking very much when I was around 20 and then I was sexually assaulted. And then after that, it was just like nightly, I was drinking every single night. Mm. I still held a job, you know, you know, uh, was responsible throughout the day, but then at night I would drink as much as I wanted until I passed out. And that went on for years. Mm. Um, and you know, I did therapy here and there and was on antidepressants and stuff, but that's, that's something that, um, you know, I, I didn't seek proper help for, I don't mm -hmm. think. And so I was self-medicating for sure. Mm -hmm. I was, I was trying to, um, not, not live through that, um, every night when I went to bed. Um, I just wanted to forget about things and chill out really. Yeah, I, I'd like to think, you know, a lot of my childhood trauma was a big part of my, you know, stuff as well. You mm -hmm. know, so, um, and I think that, you know, even into sobriety, I was having a lot of issues w with those things. And so, which I did not deal with. <laughs> so, and I really, since doing the ACA stuff, it was really kind of freed me up. Like, I don't have the night terrors that I used to mm -hmm. have. And, um, you know, a lot of different things. I did start going to therapy, which I never, you know, considered before. And then, um, you know, so when I got into ACA, it was like one of the, it's like one of the chapters, like how do you, know, picking a good therapist, you know? So I, being more open-minded to like those types of things, you know, just after being in the rooms and hearing people and, you know, everybody, when you're talking, again, it is mental health awareness month after all. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but you know, that was the thing is I never, um, I, I bought into the stigma that I think that a lot of other people did too, right? You know, that like, you know, that, that those things can't be talked about or shouldn't be talked about, uh, that it was something that like, you know, you, you had to go and do, you know, 
it was something you had to take on by yourself and you couldn't share with others. And, um, and so I think that that was, you know, the alcohol was basically is and drugs have always been a solution for me when it comes to those things. And it was just like, you know, because I can't deal with me, not, Mm -hmm. well, not that I can't deal with me as much as I can't deal with, with what happened to me and me. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you know, it's like all those things really weighed heavy on my heart. And so I can imagine that, you know, in your case, that it, where that, you know, especially happening more recent and not in your childhood, you know, it definitely has, you know, it's more vibrancy to it than I think that, uh, you know, anything would happen to me for that matter. So, I mean, that's, it's, it had to be painful, I'm sure. So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, I, I think that trauma is really a big, you know, whether, whether trauma is like what, you know, started the downhill spiral or if it occurred during that, mm-hmm. um, I don't, I think it's a part of many people's story, you know, whether like for me, you know, I, I was off and on with alcohol in my teen years and then that event happened and it just was a daily thing. Well, I know that there are some people who, um, I have seen at least, um, you know, in the rooms and, uh, like patients I've seen who have been victims of, you know, robberies or, you know, assaults Mm -hmm. while they were using. Mm -hmm. And so I think that trauma built on itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't think like it has to be the catalyst. I think, you know, it's, it's very, um, very common, very prevalent. Mm -hmm. And I think if I, in that first year of sobriety, I don't think I was ready to talk about everything that I went through. You know, I had to like ease my way into Mm it, um, and kind of just talk about how I'm feeling right now. Not like, let's open up this whole chapter, you know, that you've been avoiding for many years. (laughs) I had to, I had to, um, ease into it. So, and I think that's kind of a daunting task is that when you get sober, you have to face things. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't ready to face a lot of my demons. Um, but I knew that the alternative was kill myself. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's where the, um, you know, we, I think, you know, it's funny how, you know, we talk about we're staying away from the first drink and all of a sudden we're, we're, you know, we're talking about trauma, you know, and, and I think that, you, there is something there to to pay attention to because you know again how this this part of the conversation happened which was like you know why why do you think it is that we drank right mm-hmm. so i couldn't stay away from the first drink because that was my solution to all these other issues these all these other problems and i do mm-hmm. hear you about the trauma that you know, you develop because it is kind of part and parcel you know you know i, I you know, I, i'm <laughs> I'm running from the ATF one night, <laughs> you know, and that becomes its own trauma, right? You know, so that's the kind of stuff that you can really, you know, put yourself into uh, while you're running and gunning and doing all that we do. But the fact is this, is that like, you know, um, if you don't start, uh, you know, um, you know, opening up and getting to some of the bigger, you know, things on your, on your, um, on your agenda, like, you know, for what you have to go through, you know, saying it out loud in the meeting. And like you said, over time, you know, these things you start to deal with when you're ready to deal with them. And if you're not in a, uh, in therapy or a group environment, or, um, you know, just, I guess, you know, trying to work it out in some other fashion, um, you know, these things will pile back up on you. It, you know, and you will end up 
either one, you know, drinking yourself, you know, to oblivion or, um, you know, or blowing your brains out. Right. So it's, um, and I know that that's like where I headed in. And I, I never thought that I would be in that position. I really didn't. I thought I was doing all the right things. I thought I was living all the right lifestyles and, you know, like, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I got a job and, you know, wife gets the paycheck the picket fence goes up the kids come in the dogs the you know the you know all the other stuff (laughs) and and i think that i'm doing it i think i'm doing the american suburban you know dream which it just becomes a nightmare so you know i i I just that's kind of part of it it's funny like you know (laughs) i really think it's hilarious that we sit here and this all comes up over taking that first drink or not taking that first drink right I just think- because it it was such a quick fix, yeah. You know, in the past, uh, to just be able to put that completely out for the most part. Um, one, I just I thought of something while you were while you were talking. Blabbing. Um, well, no, how you how you brought up that like things will come back. You know, if you don't if you don't go and address the problems that are underlying your mental illness or your mm-hmm. addiction. They will come back. Mm-hmm. One like literal thing that happened to me was when I was a teen, I was also um, sexually assaulted. It was a different situation, but I was about a year into my recovery and I was working at a rehab and we took clients to this like very popular meeting on a Sunday morning. And, um, you know, I'm sitting kind of on the outside, like watching people. And all of a sudden I see the guy sitting oh, in the meeting no. who, you know, um, traumatized me when I was 15 and I lost it. You know, I, I immediately like ran to like a, uh, like an outdoor patio type type place. And I was just like hyperventilating, like it came back to me. Mm. And I think you know, I handled it as well as I could, you know, in that situation, but I also had done very little work on that. And it was right there glaring me in the face and it brought up all those feelings again. And what did I want to do? I wanted to escape. I wanted to get out of there. Um, and I think a lot of my drinking was me trying to escape, you know, the pain that I was going through. So, it will come back, you know, <laughs> you may not know how, and probably not literally, hopefully, but, um, you know, you, you can't, you can't, uh, keep doing what you're doing and expecting it to go away. You know, like the blood in your poop, Carl. <laughs> There's blood in your poop, <laughs> Carl. Yeah. You know, uh, uh you, you always say, you know, keep doing what you're doing. You're going to keep getting what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I guess this, if I was going to say this to somebody, it's like, if, you know, if you've been given, you know, the, the grace of the space for, you know, physical sobriety in this time and you're, you know, you're listening to this podcast and you're like, okay, great. See what, what we, uh, in the, in the big book, it talks about an A big book. It talks about like stuff like, uh, you know, ain't, ain't, it, ain't it glad the wind stopped blowing ma, you know, that kind of a thing. Like <laughs> it, it, I stopped drinking and everything's great, you know? But no, there's, there's, there's some work that needs to be done, you know, not only like a more immediately, but also as you have to reach back into your past and pull out some of those demons that, that may be, uh, you know, haunting. And so if you've been given this grace in the space, like, please, by all means, like take advantage of it because it does 
come back and uh and and it can you know for me it, it was um it was haunting and you know it's like that's the stuff that like uh you know I talk about with my com- uh complex PTSD I don't know why that I would have those those images or flashes of images of my like my past it literally haunted me in this way and um and since actually getting into ACA and going through a lot of this stuff and actually talking about things that I hadn't talked about in years um stuff just like start it started to get better and easier and it started mm-hmm. to fade and I don't have those flashes like I used to and I don't have that like what feels like you know a, like PTSD you know responses to things going on and I think that that is just a remarkable thing like that to me is like so and I don't feel like so in my early sobriety like you know that first two three years that's kind of where I was at like I would just I would be so like um, I didn't know how to live inside my own skin. I did not know how to do that. And so a lot of the times I was thinking about drinking where, you know, it, and I, you know, there would be people that I would meet and they would be like, yeah, I got a year and I don't think about drinking at all and everything's great. And I'd be like, fuck you, man. <laughs> you know, like, I just, like, I'm just so pissed, you know, because why me? Why me? Why, you know, why is this still happening for me? Why do I, you know, why am I still having these arguments with my wife and my family and like people around me? And why, why I get so worked up and like, you know, I had no clue, no clue. And that's just, you know, part of it. It's like, yeah, you know, you put down, you're able to stay away from that first drink, but are you really like able to do it without all this, you know, the hurt and strife, you know, can you actually do yourself a favor and address some of those things so that you can start to look for peace? Right. Mm-hmm. Because, man, it's like fucking peace is like, you know, that's the game, man. <laughs> yeah. That's the shit I want. I, you know, I don't, I mean, like, man, like putting out a drink, great. But, you know, it's like, you know, peace, way better, like mm-hmm. way better. So I think that's the thing is, um, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of work to do staying away from that first drink, um, you know, after the fact, you know, uh, that, you know, you, it, it can get you further. I guess from from considering the first drink. I guess is that. Yeah, that's the idea. So, Chelsea, what what would you what would you tell the all the little t- tiny people that made this possible? What would you tell? <laughs> Carl, you mean so much. You are beautiful oh, inside and you, out. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't shave today. You know. Um, so, no, seriously. Uh, what would you tell the what would you tell all the all the people out there? Who are, who are who are wrestling with um, their you know thoughts of going back or so say they got maybe let me give a good good example so uh, say say that there's um, a dude in Nova Scotia <laughs> Mike is that <laughs> Mike you? Mike in Nova Scotia Mike if that's you again Mike we're talking to you so if it was uh, say say Mike's got 14 days right and um, and he walks back and forth to his job. Between him, him, and his job are are two liquor stores, a strip club that doesn't sell booze, and a bar next to that strip club that does. Uh, what would you tell Mike in Nova Scotia as he, you know, before he walks, you know, because he's thinking about it. It's Friday, he's gonna go to work. He's thinking about taking that first drink again. But what? So what would you tell Mike in Nova Scotia? People always say play the tape forward or play the tape all the way through. You know, Mike, if you go to the liquor store, you pick up 
liquor, then you're going to take it home and you're going to look at it and then you're going to say, okay, I'm going to have one drink. And then is it really going to be one drink after that? Because you can't really, at least for me, like I can't control myself once I've crossed that barrier. Once I have broken that, you know, uh, I guess kind of my own control, like once I've passed that point, I'm no longer in control. It is my compulsion, my obsession. And so kind of the way that I, um, dealt with, you know, if I can only have one, then I'll have none, you know? And, um, it's so far having none has proven to be the best thing I've ever done. And, um, I'm much happier now. Um, if you're, if you're thinking about just having one drink, you know, that first one, why ask yourself, why, what is it that you are trying to achieve by doing that? Is it, uh, you are trying to prove to yourself you're not an alcoholic because hello, that's exactly what I did. Um, are you trying to avoid feeling certain feelings that you're having right now? Are you lonely? Um, you know, try and look at H- hence the strip that. club. I'm just one point. Yeah. I would like to tell Mike, you know, it, uh, obviously there's, there's, you know, a drink is not going to make anything better. It never does. Um, you know, we think it does. But it just doesn't, um, you know, and and I, I guess here's the thing is, you know, you know, Mike, you got to remember why you wanted to get that, you know, get sober to begin with. Like what what prompted you to get there to begin with? So hold on to that as well. Um, and then, of course, you know, you, uh, you know, um, you know, the one of the, one of the things for me is it was always easier. Like once I betrayed myself, once I betrayed like my own thoughts once I betrayed my own self and went and picked up that first drink. And that's really what it was. It wasn't anybody else. It was just me. It was me against me. And, um, and so once I did that, it just became easier to take all the other dreams that I did have and put those on the back burner. And, and it was able to, you know, and then I got up every morning, you know, cursing myself, but then, you know, picking up a drink anyway. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and then it just got worse from there. And it was just that, that was the spiral. And I just like, that's the thing is like, that first drink always starts to spiral and it, mm-hmm. and it just never got better. It never got better. The only time it got better is when I stopped picking up, when I stopped drinking and when I, when I put the plug in the jug and I, um, and I didn't look for alternatives and I, and, and I made abstinence my, my, uh, my, uh, my form of, um, um, you know, recovery, right? Because it's, for me, that's where, it, that's where it began. Um, you know, I, I didn't, uh, you know, my life did not improve until, um, until I, you know, put the plug in the jug and gave it some time to improve. So, um, so Mike, um, you can still go check out those strippers sober. I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and you know, I mean, just think about it. You could like, you know, you could tip them the seven dollars that you would have spent. On, hey, on win-win. Yeah, win-win. 
<laughs> win win for it. Welcome Candy to the stage. You know. <laughs> um, anyway, so I think that's it. Is that, is that all? Is that all she wrote? Is that is that enough for have this we, week? Have we said enough? I think so. so. Tune in next week, and we talk about using the 24-hour plan. Ooh, that sounds fun. Think about those 24 hours ahead, huh? And Mike. <laughs> yeah, right. Mike. Yeah, Mike. All right, Chelsea, what, what, is, what does Chelsea say to the, to the people? Deuces. And that's all you had to say today? You don't want to add anything more? You don't know anything less? Or? Um, I another no, statement. No, I think I'm good. It's a, it's been a long week. All right, I'm just gonna say fuck. No. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was right. waiting for it. See you, party people. Ex party people. All right. Oh, do we have do we have anything to say to 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 anything else? Uh, the friends of recovery to the to yeah. the people out there. Do do we have do we have people that we need to talk about? Well, I know that I just saw today that there is um, a guy in SoberPod Live, Keith. Happy three years. That was amazing. Amazing. Super cool. Um, It's awesome seeing new people add, like be added to SoberPod Live. And so I highly, highly recommend if you, if you want to be a part of that community, it's a um, private group within sober pod so if you go to facebook.com slash sober pod and then there's a group within it that's private you just have to request to be a part of it and then more than likely you'll be accepted um and there's a lot of good people there all positive and you know not everyone's doing super great but it's a place to get support and um and i just i love it that's yeah, right. you know, it, we've hovered around the 320-ish members for mm-hmm. a while, so it would be nice to actually kind of like, you know, get some more people in there and some fresh meat. And then, <laughs> <laughs> so, and if you don't have Facebook, like, well, I don't know, maybe make an account just to be a part of that group. I know plenty of people who just make a Facebook account to be a part of, you know, yeah, whatever group. Yeah. And it's it's not like you have to go on Facebook and like, really submit your real name or anything Mm-mm. so uh so congrats keith on your on your three years um that that was uh yesterday by the way just want to point that out but uh keith you're awesome keep uh keep coming back and 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 then um i don't know just keep doing what you're doing you're gonna keep getting what you're getting <laughs> there you go all right uh, we're done we're out of here adios Adios, amigos. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. See you later. See ya. Bye. Are you painfully aware that pain is a process? Want to tell the world about it, but just don't have the time? Why not display your knowledge and strife by putting it on a t-shirt or better yet, purchase one from painisaprocess.com. Head on over to painisaprocess.com and check out the other items such as I'm a painkiller or my personal favorite, pain is the way to peace. When you purchase a painfully aware wear item, 
you will get a code for a free year of access to SoberPod.com's membership section. All proceeds will go to support the SoberPod Recovery Podcast. Thanks for your support.